who are deciding different alternative lifestyles of calling marriage. When Jesus, we've had marriage as a, uh, for years, for centuries, and also for um, 2,000, 3,000 years when Jesus said from the beginning, and he was quoting from Moses in, in Genesis, that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and a mother and be joined together as a wife. And what God has put together, no one is to break asunder. And yet that is laughed at today. And that kind of idea of what a family really is or what marriage is. And it's in those hostile conditions of marriage today that the word of God speaks to us in a very, very strong way. Peter is dealing with it. We know the hostility that was in Peter's day. If you remember, Peter was in this hostility where Nero wanted to rebuild Rome. And because of that, he was burning it down piece by piece. But then he also had a nine-day spread in which um, uh, Rome was burning. And what he used was, he used the Christians as a scapegoat. And what he did is that he blamed them for the burning of Rome. Even though he was doing it and he was wanting it, he had some real resistance about it. And so he blamed the Christians. And the tortures that the Christians were going through were incredible. They were being lit up as candles at parties and wrapped in, in animal skins and dipped in oil and turned and lit on fire while they were still alive. And Nero loved that. He used to mock them as they were burning at the stake. He also had racism, which he would um, have them dragged behind his chariots. Or did he take Christians and hand them to the lions and have the lions torture them as sport? This is what Christians were going through in these days. And Peter speaks to them. And he says to them, you're special people. You've been called by God to be his children. And that you're special to minister in this age. And that you're a royal priesthood. And that he sent, his, the father sent his son on the cross to bear his precious blood to save us so that we could be his children. And that we're to go into the world and represent him as priests to God. And it's in those, that context then Peter speaks to them how they should live. How do we live in a hostile environment like that? And as Peter comes to the end of chapter 2, or the end of chapter 2, he begins to talk about that. How do you live in a government that's so hostile to you? And Peter talks about submission. Submission to the government that you're in. He also then talks about how do you live in an environment where you're a slave. And he was talking about the Christian slaves who are living in environments where their bosses were not Christians. How do you live and put up with that? How do you deal with that? And Peter again says submission. Submitting unto the authority and living for God in that situation. And now Peter turns and begins to talk about marriage. He talks about when a person is married to someone and it's not going well. Or that the person is a Christian and the man is not or the wife is not. How do we live in that environment? And how do we live as Christians in that environment? And again, Peter comes back with the word submission. 
Now, it's interesting that Peter uses in chapter 3 six verses to talk to the female about this because the female was at a very much a disadvantage in the society. In the society, in this Roman society in which Nero was, women were considered as possessions. In fact, children were even possessions. They call it the patris protestus. And what they said is in there that a father had the right, if his son or daughter was rebellious, he could kill them and take them out. This is what Peter was talking about. How do we live in that environment? How does a wife who has no rights and considered property of the husband, how does she survive in living with a man who's not a believer? Because now she's accepted Christ and she's got this freedom in Christ. She's got this great joy in Christ and yet has no way of expressing it. Because the husband, she could get on the husband and cause her to have some problems and abuse in her relationship. And so Peter speaks about this. Notice what he says, in the same way. And what he's talking about, the same way it was with your job, the same way it was with the government, submission. And he says, in the same way you wives, be submissive to your husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, She's talking about the word of God. They may be one without a word by their behavior of their wives. And as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now this is a very difficult passage to deal with. Because we don't want to hear submission in our society. We don't want to hear that. But Peter here is very strong and adamant about this submission. And he also talks about the strong foundation to build in this marriage to bring a person to Christ. And what we have is this example of Jesus Christ, who submitted himself to his barbarian people who put him up on the cross and brought about our great salvation. Here, Peter is speaking about us being submission, being in submission to one another. And that submission is an obligation as Christians. That we are listening to the command of God. And that we work together to not being inferior, not being lower than her husband. But that God's way is that the husband was responsible for his wife and for his children. And especially in that society. And that submission is not to, to, to do wrong, but rather to do right. And to be, a, in, in the word in the, in, the Hebrew, in the Greek, it's hupotassos, which means the submission is the supportive, strengthening, encouraging that ha husband. It's a submission of, of an opportunity too. Notice what he says, so that your behavior will win him to Christ. One of the most beautiful examples of this in history was Augustine's mother. Augustine's mother, Monica, uh, was a Christian. She became a Christian, and his dad was not. And she, his mother, served his, his father very well. And Augustine, in his confessions, wrote this about his mother, because his father came to Christ toward the end because of the mother's way in which she served and cared for her husband. He said this, She served him as her Lord. And did her diligence to win him to thee, preaching thee through her abilities to behavior by which thou anointest her and making her reverently admirable to her husband. And so here we have Monica, the way she acts 
wins her husband to Christ. And this is the same thing that Peter is talking about. He's saying the supportive submission of the wife toward her husband, winning him over like we would do with our government, and not doing things that are wrong or sinful or against God that we, we stand against. But here she would encourage him and be that hupotassos, that under-beside encourager of her husband. And that's what won him. Not by complaining, not by nagging, not by uh, trying to convert him through her harping on him, but instead in a lovely way. She wasn't a mouse. She stood her ground when she felt that he was violating what was, God was uh, God's way, but she submitted to him and this beside him, encouraging and worked together practically with her husband. You see, it's all a matter, matter of our attitude. And it's a matter of our disposition of our hearts, not our position. Here we see it so strongly in her way in which she handled it and the way she dealt with it. You see, and that's where we go from action to our attitude. And Peter goes on to talk to the woman about not only being chaste and respectful in her behavior, but saying your adornment must not merely be external, braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And what he's talking about here in that culture, people were really addicted to taking care. In fact, they found it in the catacombs where women had jewelry and where the Christians were and they had special shoes and they had wigs and all that. And, and a lot of groups, there's sometimes there's groups in our culture today, especially conservative Christian groups who will say, well, women shouldn't have jewelry or women shouldn't wear nice dresses or shouldn't braid their hair. No, that's not what Peter is saying here. He's saying, don't put your hope in the outward appearance. Put your hope in the inward part of your heart, the hidden person of the heart. And that you realize that that outward beauty will fade. I remember when I was in New Jersey working and I knew several gals who worked as models on the runway in New York City. And they always knew that their beauty was fleeting. They were always doing things to take care of their beauty because they knew that it was fading. They were worried about the next girl that got on the runway that may be 16 or 17 and that could take their place on a modeling shoot. And they were constantly worried about that. And one of the things Peter is saying here, that does fade. But it's the inside of your heart. The hidden person of the heart, that is what's going to win this person to Christ. And that's an imperishable quality that never can be taken away. And it's a quiet, it's a, a, a gentle spirit that a woman should have that can win her husband to Christ. And what we find here is that Peter is talking to women here and helping them see this is what's going to attract your husband. This is what's going to win him over to Christ. And that make sure that you don't spend. I mean, think about it. I was thinking about this the other day. And we in America have a problem with this. Because it's amazing to me how many people in our culture spend so much time in front of the mirror getting themselves ready in the morning, 
getting themselves ready to go off to work or getting ready to go something. And they spend a lot of time in the mirror and adorning themselves. And I wonder for Christians, how much time do we spend adorning our spirit, spending time in God's word compared to getting ourselves ready by taking the shower and, and doing our hair and fixing it up and picking out the jewelry and the outfit, all that stuff that we do, men and women both, how much time do we spend getting our hearts ready every day in building that hidden person of the heart? And here Peter is saying, this is what you need to do, gals, that you build that inward imperishable quality of your heart with a gentle and a quiet spirit that genuinely shines out and that will never fade away. And that Jesus talks about it in his in the gospel where he talks about meekness, this gentle, quiet spirit. It's not weakness, but it's strength under the control of God. And as you work on yourself in that inner quality of beauty, the Holy Spirit bears that fruit. And that fruit is under God's control and that your lips, your thinking, your eyes, your emotions, your actions, your attitudes, under God's Holy Spirit's control as you build that inner quality and that your relationships become under his control. And he says, build that quality of a quiet spirit, a tranquil undisturbed spirit that even though stuff goes down in your life that is very disturbing that you have this peace of God ruling your heart and it's tranquil and you don't let your emotions get all one of the hardest things I ever had to do is to conquer my emotions of an angry spirit I struggled with anger early on in my life and it wasn't until six or seven years after Christ came in and changed my heart that I was able to bring that under his control so that I can now, at this point, when people do things or want to hurt me, I can be at peace about it and I can work through it rather than my emotional anger get a hold of me and ruin the whole day. Rather, I can use God's Holy Spirit to give me strength to conquer my anger and my temper and that I can set an atmosphere that's different. It's because God works in that imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit when we allow the fruit of the Spirit be adorned in us and that we can trust God. I had a gal the other day stop in my office and her husband had just lost his job. His health was not doing good and the struggle that she was going through and yet she said she's got a peace that God is going to help her work this out and help them work it out. And she tried. You see, God wants us to have a dazzling spirit, a spirit that can bring calm to the tumultuous waters of life where people get angry and tight and frustrated. We can bring that peace of God through our hearts as we have worked it and adorned our spirit with trusting God and letting that quality of the hidden spirit of our heart by the Holy Spirit bring that control and that peace in our heart. 
Then he goes on talking about being godly adornment. From the same way in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened or by fear. And this is the key of trusting God and not being frightened and resting on him. And it's interesting that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, uses Sarah and Abraham because they weren't perfect. They really didn't have it together early on in their marriage and in their life. They struggled. Remember, she was told that she was going to have a child, and she laughed, and they struggled with that at her old age. And we know what she did, and they allowed Abraham to go and have relations with their servant girl. We know that Abraham didn't trust God. When he came upon Abimelech and another leader, two different instances where he should have trusted God and had it together. And instead, he let his wife go and said she was his sister rather than his wife because he was afraid he was going to get killed because she was so beautiful. And she trusted him. And it was wrong. They didn't have it together. And it's amazing that Peter himself, knowing the failures of his Christian faith, when he finally did get it right. And so did Abraham and Sarah, when she finally did have a baby at 99 years old. That was the beauty of trusting God, trusting what God had said to Abraham, and she trusted him in the end. And that's what the Word of God here is saying to us, that adornment. When we truly fashion our souls and we build it up, that we truly trust God in what he says and that we will walk boldly and very plainly for the Lord and that we will do what is right in his sight and trust him by submission. And you see, there's the catch. A lot of time people miss it. They miss it in their hearts. Because they haven't adorned the Lord in their hearts. They haven't grasped it. And so they keep on trying to do things to fix it. Like Abraham and Sarah did early on in their lives. And it wasn't until they truly entrusted themselves to God that they finally got it right. It's the submission to the relationship with God. As Jesus did. And you see, from that point on. Then we have this godly admiration. You see, the Bible says to both of us, husbands and wives, submit yourselves one another to Jesus Christ. That's the key to our relationships of marriage, to, to those who are struggling in marriage, to those when two people, when you don't have one who's not on the same page, that you continue to submit yourself to God and to trust him. And you do the right things, even when your wife or husband are not doing the right thing. And you truly trust Christ. And then for men, he goes on. And you husbands... In the same way, again, what is that same way? Submission. Live with your wives in an understanding way. As someone who is weaker, 
since she is a woman, and show her honor as her fellow heir in the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. In the same way, it's that submission, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, 21, we're to submit each other in the fear of Christ. So are men to submit. Submit to God. And live with your wife. Spend time with them. It's so interesting that sometimes we don't understand why we don't have a good relationship with our mates. It's because we haven't spent time with them. And this is Peter's point. Spend time. Get to know them as best as you can. Get to know them on an intellectual way. Be considerate to them. Care for them. You know, some people say, well, shivery. That's out the window. <laughs> Let me tell you something, that's the tragedy of women's lib movement today, is they've thrown chivalry out, and they haven't given men an opportunity to really respect them. And what happens is, is then they get all angry, and they want that person not to, and they think, well, you're treating me like I'm a second seven, and you're opening the door. No, not. We're respecting. Live your way, wise with an understanding way, trying to understand what goes on inside them, both intellectually, spiritually. And it's very hard without spending time with each other. I was reading about Tim Keller, who was a tremendous pastor out in New York City, who started over 138 churches throughout the world. And in New York City, has a large church in New York City. And one of the things that you do, and I was the same way when I started out in the ministry in New Jersey, you know, I was going to save every drug addict there was on the uh, west of the Hudson River. And I thought that I was going to do it. <laughs> and I was a fool. And one of the things I did is I neglected my wife and my family. Because I was out on the streets every night, ministering and helping people, helping people get into a, uh, drug treatment programs and leading, trying to lead them to Christ and all this kind of stuff. And I was neglecting my wife. And I was reading about Tim Keller, who the same way, when he started out his ministry in New York City, did the same thing. And one day his wife, Kathy, who was with the kids and, and just had had it because Tim had not been home for the last two weeks at, in the nighttime. And she was angry with him. And she felt that he wasn't doing what God's will was to first be the husband to his wife and to his children. And I can tell you that ministry can become an idol. And it can take you away from what is really good. And I found that happening in my life too. And what Kathy did, she had this beautiful china given to her from her aunt that was super valuable. And one night when he came home and he said to her something about him being away, doing God's work, she went off the deep end and took that china and she broke it on the floor because she wanted him to see that that was not what God wanted. And that he had to really look at this and pray about it and spend time with her so he could understand what God's word was really saying to her and to him. And he came to the realization that this must have been important if she threw all this valuable china on the floor and broke it apart. And then he began to understand her heart. But he also began to understand the word of God. And that he realized 
He was not doing this. He was not living with his wife in an understanding way. And he needed to change his ways. And then Peter says to us, as with someone weaker. Now, he's not talking about weaker intellectually. He's not talking about a woman that's weaker uh, spiritually. He's talking about the physical part in that culture where men were to stand up for their family, to stand up for their wives, and to fight for them if there was something or there was a threat to their family. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying you live with your wife in an understanding way. You submit to God. And this person who God has given you, you are to cherish and protect her. And you to take her like she is China. Very valuable and very precious. And you take her and you value her. And you honor her for who she is. I can tell you the times that I valued my wife and the wisdom that she has. And when I listen to her, because she's got some good wisdom and insights, and I treat her with the value that God has given as a co-heir. And that's, look at what Peter says. She's a fellow heir of the grace. That means she's a sister in Christ, and she has the same amount of value as I do in Christ. And that she doesn't have to nag me, but that we, I value her and I value her love and her insights because she's a precious gift from God. And I had to learn that and trust her. And boy, when I did, things really got better in our relationship and in our lives together because I realized how precious she was as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And Peter reminds us that if we don't do that, if we don't take care of our mate like that, our prayers will be hindered. So that I value her emotionally. She's like the thermostat in our home. She knows what the temperature is. I'm uh, she, she's the thermometer, and I'm the thermostat who sets it high and low, but I need to listen to her to understand what's going on in our family and in our relationship so that I can better gear of setting that thermostat in our home. That I understand her as my spiritual sister in the Lord and that we share this deep relationship of God. And as the Bible talks about it way back in Genesis, already, that she's my helpmate. She's my friend. She encourages me. And we work together as a team in order to share life together as God made us in the image of God and that we're equal partners caring for one another and my protecting her and loving her. And notice what Peter then says. He throws a monkey wrench in all this. And he says to us, if you don't do this, your prayers will not be, so that your prayers are not hindered. He's saying to us that if you don't do this, you're breaking a spiritual bond. You're going to hinder your spiritual life because you're really not doing what God wants you to do. 
And so you're to respect her. You're to honor her. You're to lift her up and appreciate her insights and her life with you. And that you don't ignore her. One of the tragedies in our society is sometimes we get so busy with so many other things to do that we begin to walk by each other and ignore each other. And sometimes there are bitternesses that can come. You know, sometimes it's a small little things that begin to accumulate inside of a person's heart that begin to build a large bitterness and a hurt and that that bitterness can be hurtful to the point where it blocks us spiritually and keeps us from enjoying the Lord and receiving the power and the strength that he wants to give us and Peter is saying that here you know what he says in John's epistle? He says, you know, we can say that we love God, but if we don't love our brother, if we don't love our sister, if we don't love our wife, we're going to put roadblocks. We're going to put potholes in our spiritual life that will prevent us from really experiencing the blessings that God has for us. And so... He comes back to us and says, treat her with honor as an heir to the grace. Understand her way. See what's going on in her heart because she may have some valuable treasure for you. Dave, treat your wife with that kind of respect so your spiritual life is not hindered. And so Peter, at the end of all this, he gives us some great questions to ask ourselves as believers in marriage and believers that God instituted this marriage between a husband and a wife and how to get the most out of it. And tragically, I believe there's a lot of Christians who don't get it and they're not getting what God has blessed them with in their marriage. And that's where we come to the point and Peter asks us the question, okay, is your wife or husband a competitor or is, he a, or is she a partner? Are you helping each other become more spiritual? Are you growing each other and spending the time in prayer and study together? Are you depending on the external things? Or are you depending on the eternal values? Do you understand each other better? Do you want to understand one another? Are you sensitive to your spouse's feelings, their ideas? What do you take them for granted? Are you seeing God answer your prayers? Are you enriched because your marriage or you feel like you're being robbed? See, these are honest questions that we as believers need to ask about our relationships and our marriage with one another so that we can be this royal priesthood, as Peter talks about, that we can be the bridge to a society who has lost contact of what God wants for marriage. 
And marriage was meant to be a blessing for the society and that they can find the joy that God has for the marriage. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we come to you and we thank you for Peter inspiring him to write these things and how to witness to someone close, how to live in a relationship of marriage that you called us to. I pray, Jesus, that we can live that, that you can help us in the view of submission, winning those unsaved loved ones to Christ. I pray, Father God, too, that we can show the Christian marriage how great life can be with a partner who we know both mentally, spiritually, and physically, and that we love them and they love us in Christ. And that your banner over us is love. And that our friends and our families, our children, all those around can see the beauty you've made in the marriage that you designed for your glory. And it's through you, Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Let's close and stand and receive our benediction. And then we can sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.